Welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, a podcast that celebrates the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. We invite you to learn more at the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia site, WICD.org. There you'll find the latest information about a film we're producing called Decoders, a cutting-edge documentary that objectively and fearlessly explores fundamental questions about how we learn. Now, to support the making of this film and to find out more, visit WICD.org. I'm Jordan Rich. Our guest today is Taylor Molly. As a slam poetry performer, Taylor has been on seven national poetry slam teams. Six appeared on the final stage and four won the competition. He's the author of several books and CDs, has appeared in Taylor, Molly, and Friends Live at the Bowery Poetry Club, and the documentary Slam Nation and Slam Planet. He was also in the HBO production Russell Simmons Presents Deaf Poetry. He's won several awards and has performed all over the country and beyond with his work. Taylor Molly has also spent many years teaching English, history, and math. And he's got a deep understanding of the learning process and the joy he takes in teaching kids. Well, it's infectious. He recently performed at a Web Center fundraiser, and the audience couldn't get enough of him. I spoke with him recently about his poetry, teaching style, and his thoughts on dyslexia. So here we are, sitting down with the poet himself, Taylor Molly. It's delightful to chat with you here on this podcast after seeing you in action more than once. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. It's uh, I, When I found out that there was a podcast run by a voiceover guy, I knew that I, I had to do it. <laughs> well, you are somebody who uses your voice and that amazing brain of yours, and you're a, so adept at poetry. Where did the poetry start for you in life? Is this something that... I- was early I on. I say my my dad used to write what we call occasional poems, poems written for specific occasions, weddings and birthdays. He wrote a poem for his his parents' fiftieth wedding anniversary. He wrote a poem for my mother's fiftieth birthday, which I remember because it has a very complicated rhyme scheme. Sort of he he would re- write these sort of Dr. Seuss meets Robert Frost. They always rhymed. They could be called doggerel, uh, but they were they weren't afraid to be sentimental. And uh, I remember the the uh, the poem he wrote for my mom began, "Since the earth was purged and mankind emerged with the other animals from Noah's ark, most people have paused as this milestone passed the half a century mark." Oh, I, I actually even found a poem of his in a in a collection of his poems. He used to write his poems longhand. Uh, on yellow legal pads. He never memorized them when he got up to recite. And I think if he'd lived a little longer, I would have been able to convince him of the benefits of memorization because suddenly you get your eyes, uh, Mm. your eyes and your hands are free to make greater connections with the audience. Uh, But I think like many people, he just thought, oh, what, what happens if I forget a line? I'll just, I'll just, you know, be floundering up there. His poems were essentially uh, what to say. They were rhyming toasts. They were rhyming toasts. But the first poem I that mentions me was written three months before I was born, uh, and it mentions my mother being pregnant with me. Uh, the first, the first couplet was '64. I was born in March of 1965, and this poem was called New Year's Eve, 1964. And it goes, 64 was a year of change and a year of great enjoyment from the shift in Janie's silhouette to the shift in my employment. I guess he got a new job. (laughs) And then the last couplet is, um, and in 65, there will be more of us, one more tiny Molly torso, and we will all love each other 
only just a little more so. Oh, I'm I'm swept away by this. I love it. And you mentioned something about him, and I think this applies to you, that sense that these poems are, are clever but approachable. And for a lot of people, poetry is like opera. It gets a little bit heady, and we get a little bit embarrassed that we're not really following the action. But right. it's very communicative and very direct, his, his work as well, is yours. And also, I grew up watching him recite these poems at weddings and birthdays and public events. And so for me... Poetry was very much a, a, a public uh, art form, and it's funny what you should what you say about. And I so I bring my talents as a. You know, I was a uh, at Bowdoin College. I was not a drama major because they did not have a drama major. I probably would have been uh, if if they had had one, as as they do now. I understand. And I would forever have been plagued by one of two different criticisms. One, uh, if you're really serious about your education, why did you go to Bowdoin College and major in drama? <laughs> and then other people who would say, if you're really serious about a life in the theater, why did you go to Bowdoin College where they don't even have a drama major? So I was an English major there where all of the theater classes were were under the tent of the of the. Uh, English department. Hmm. So I graduated with, I think, more English credits than any other English major in the history of Bowdoin <laughs> College, but I don't know that for sure. But I bring my talents as an as a, as a actor who never was, and my all of my knowledge of the voiceover industry and and breathing techniques. I bring that to bear in my poems. And I was a, I, I competed in poetry slams, you know, competitive right, right. poetry reading judged by five randomly selected racist, homophobic idiots who are given <laughs> scorecards and are told you get to decide what, who wins, who is the best uh, poet. And I was teaching a workshop, not in spoken word or poetry slam. And I was talking about, and I always start my workshops by playing a poem at least the audio of it, if not, and sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm broadcasting the audio from my phone to a Bluetooth speaker, and I'm watching the poem on my little, on my phone, you know, but, and everybody else in the class is listening, listening to the poem. And I have an elderly woman in my class say, but, you know, you've got the voice and you've got the acting background. How much of a thespian does a poet really need to be? which is a great question. And I said, not as much as you might think, not as much as you might think I would say, knowing me, but these days a poet needs to be just as much a thespian as to not confirm the audience's suspicions that they still hate poetry. So you appeared at, at our function, our big fundraiser. You know, you realized what it was for. Tell me about your sister, too. She's involved. What, what, what was your goal that evening, and what would you like to say to people who are dealing with dyslexia? I'm just so glad that dyslexia is, is sort of coming out from the shadows and getting uh, the attention that it deserves. Autism, too, although that is a completely different issue, a completely different battle being fought by worthy organizations and dedicated people. My sister, Kate Penjean, is on the, the, 
the board for the Web Center. And so she, I think it's been 10 years since I performed at that Web Center benefit. But when my sister says, would you mind coming up and addressing these folks? Uh, I, I knew that it was going to be a great crowd and uh, a worthy cause. And I, you know, jumped at the, at the chance um, to do it. And I loved what somebody said that night at the benefit that they said, uh, you know, dyslexia is not a learning problem. Dyslexia is a teaching problem. You know, if people are not, dyslexia just means, yeah, what works, what has worked for you as a teacher to impart knowledge is not going to work for everybody. So you need to find different methods. You need to vary your vary your methods so that everybody can everybody can uh, can can learn. I had a dyslexic student uh, when I was an English teacher on uh, at Cape Cod Academy, and he was the goalie on the seventh and eighth grade uh, soccer team. And the best test he ever did, the best vocab test he ever had was the day after I quizzed him on his vocab while kicking soccer balls at his head while he was in goal as hard as I could. And we would just, I would say, I remember the words too myself. One of them was impolitic. And I would say, what is impolitic? And he was like, oh, does that mean, uh, does that mean uh, um, not being able to see the big picture? And I would kick the ball. It's like, no, that's myopic. He's like, oh, that's right, that's right. And he, you know, he worked on his on his uh, goaltending skills. Uh, I mean, there was something about the way he learned. He needed to have soccer balls coming at him full speed. Mm-hmm. He was working on multiple things at once, and that 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 may be the key for for dyslexic kids. You know, just let's let's fire all things at them at all different times. Maybe they're not going to go as fast as those of us who can dedicate ourselves to one specific pursuit and study that and that only for 45 minutes, maybe the dyslexic is going to make headway on seven different fronts at once, just a little bit more incrementally. And you're a poet of great note. And of course, words is your business, as they say. Has has that helped reach certain students, the, the work you do as a poet, the clever rhyme scheme and things like that? Have you found a way to reach people who were maybe uh, blocked it, it, it previously through the poetry? I think I have, and per- particularly because I am the type of poet that you would call a spoken word poet, where when I sit down to write, I am not sitting, I am not, I do not write for a reader. I write for an auditor or an audience. I write for an audience. A spoken word poet is someone who writes thinking that the first time their work is ever experienced, it will be heard before it is ever read. So to a certain extent, my poems as performed are advertisements for the book that they come from. You know, I want you to hear the poem and want to take it home in in book form. So yeah, no doubt, no doubt, the way that I perform a poem and make it come alive is going to reel in students who would otherwise uh, be turned off if they were just presented with yet another page of text. 
Before we close out with the poem that absolutely slayed the audience, and it it's very clever, and it's it's a little on the risque side for some. In fact, as a setup to this concluding poem, you told me that the impotence of proofreading, which you'll explain in a moment and then read, has caused uh, upset in the lives of teachers. Certain teachers have actually lost their gigs because they had the nerve and the temerity to, to present it in class. Four, four middle school teachers have been fired over this poem in the last 20 years because it's not appropriate to give to a middle <laughs> school class. It's funny. You'll see it. It hinges on it's a poem about over relying on spell check as uh, instead of a comprehensive proof, actual proofreading. And uh, yeah, this poem has taken out. Uh, for four teachers over well, the years. Well, uh, my audience for this podcast, uh, any age, is able to handle it. I promise you that. <laughs> and uh, as I say, it, it, we could talk for days with you about your craft, but I'd love for you to illustrate the essence of what you do with this poem. It's called The Impotence of Proofreading. And, no, no, no. It is called The, the Impotence of Proofreading. I know there, are two, there are two thes in the, in the road. The, in the a, impotence. Oh, I'm so, oh, thank you. I thought it was the way I was pronouncing the word T-H-E. No, no, no. The, the. The, the, the impotence. That changes everything for me. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so well, take it away. Thank you for having me on, and, uh, and here is that poem that you request. Has this ever happened to you? You work very, very hard on a paper for English clash and still get a very glow rate on it, like a D or even a D equals, and all because you are the liverwurst spoiler in the whale wide word. Yes, proofreading your peppers is a matter of the, the utmost impotence. Now this is a problem that affects manly, manly students all over the word. I myself was such a bad spiller once upon a term that my English torturer in my sophomoric year, Mrs. Myth, she said that I was never gonna get into a good colleague. And that's all I wanted. That's all any kid wants at that age, just to get into a good colleague. And not just anal community colleague, because I am not one of those guys who would be happy at just anal community colleague. I need to be challenged challenged menstrually. I need a place that can offer me intellectual simulation. So I know this probably makes me sound like a stereo, but I really felt that I could get into an ivory legal colleague. So if I did not improvement, then gone would be my dream of going to Harvard, jail, or prison you know, in prison, New Jersey. So I got myself a spell checker and I figured I was on Sleazy Street, but there are several missed aches that a spell checker can't, can't catch, catch. For instance, if you accidentally leave out word, your spell checker won't put it in you. And God for billing purposes only, you should have serial problems with Tory spelling. Your spell check off may end up using a word that you had absolutely no detention of using. Because, I mean, what do you want it to douche? No, it only does what you tell it to douche. You're the one who's sitting in front of the computer screen with your hand on the mouth going clit, clit, 
clit. It just goes to show you how embargo, one careless little clit of the mouth can be, which reminds me of this one time during my junior mint, the teacher took the essay that I had written on a sale of two titties and she read it out loud in front of all of my ass mates. It was quite possibly one of the most humidifying experiences of my entire life being laughed at like that pubically. So do yourself a flavor and follow these two Pisces of advice. One, there is no prostitute for careful editing of your own work. No prostitute whatsoever. And three, when it comes to proofreading, the red penis, your friend. Spank you. Spank you very much. My thanks to our very special guest, Taylor Molly, poet extraordinaire. Go to Taylor Molly, T-A-Y-L-O-R-M-A-L-I dot com to find out more. And thank you for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. Please contact us here at our website, WICD.org. There you'll learn more about how you can support the documentary film Decoders, currently in production. My name is Jordan Rich. Dyslexics Wanted is a production of the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia. Have a great day.